This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. You don't want to just sit in your house all by yourself and be like, this is what all my money goes to. Yeah, just this house. I might as just well spend all my time here, get my money's worth. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Planantial's podcast, Future Rich. My name is Barbara Ginty and I'm your host and also a CFP, which is a certified financial planner. And I am here with my guest tonight, Morgan. Hi, Morgan. Hi, Barb. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. I'm excited about this episode. Yeah, me too. So, so um, to give our listeners a little background, we know each other and you have been inspired to get on the FIRE movement. Um, so I think this one will be really interesting because I feel like the fire movement is picking up speed here. So give us some, uh, our listeners, some details, age, location, profession, all that jazz. Yeah. Um, so I am currently 31. I'm living in Salt Lake City and I'm working as an engineer um, in the aerospace industry. Super impressive. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and why don't you give them a little background about what you did previously? You took a little break from mm-hmm. this industry. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I was working as essentially a rocket scientist for about six years. And yeah, just feeling really burnt out. Um, you know, I had some big adventures that I wanted to go on. And I I asked if I could take a sabbatical just to kind of, you know, recharge and do my thing. And they weren't willing to work with me there. So I gave them my notice and I ended up quitting um, back in February of 2019. And I, uh, I attempted to through hike the Pacific Crest Trail. Um, I got an injury and ended up getting off trail early, but I was planning on going back in 2020. So I didn't go back to engineering. I actually worked as a uh, snowboard instructor over the winter. And then with COVID, obviously, you know, I 
couldn't really do anything last summer. So <laughs> that, that plan fell through and, you know, I, I really can't stay unemployed for three years in a row. So you know, I got back. It's yeah, time. it's a long time. I mean, fortunately, you know, I saved a ton of money before I quit and it's been totally fine. But uh, yeah, at this point, you know, I, I started back at my new job um, almost a month ago. And yeah, you know, it's really hard going back to a desk job when you've been doing your own thing and going on adventures for two years. So yeah, this, that's when I, uh, I started looking into the fire movement and decided that that's something that I think is really important to me and, and my lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that if you know, at least in my opinion, like if you know what you're working towards, then it makes it easier to say like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to go back to work and I'm going to work for this set period of time. And then I'm going to change my lifestyle so that it accommodates the, the lifestyle that I want. Yeah. Right? Yes. Because you obviously have a good skill set to, you know, having been a former rocket science scientist and now, you know, engineering in the aerospace industry. So obviously you have a profession, um, so you can get a good job with benefits but I feel like since I know you, you like the outdoor adventure space better. Yeah. So we can do both, like leverage your professional experience and then get you to an early retirement. So what we had chatted about a little bit before you came on the podcast was I really like the fire movement, but I like it from the perspective of separating out your early retirement from your retirement. Cause I like to think of the retirement um, kind of like as the castle or the golden goose or whatever analogy you want to use, but like it, you have to really protect it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know anybody. I don't know if you know anybody, but I don't know anybody who wants to be working when they're in their seventies. Yeah, no, <laughs> terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, I know people who have, and there are some people that like really love their jobs and like don't want to retire. But I would say on average, most people say to me like, "I'm tired and I'm ready to be done," um, and like do a fun job or something like that, not like the pressure and stress of your career position. Um, So I like to separate out the two goals. So, and the way I like to do that is you can just run an estimate of what you think you're going to need for retirement and then just have that be the money that doesn't get touched until you're actually in retirement because the compounding of interest factor there is so important that you could still do the early retirement as long as you leave the retirement monies alone. And then you save specifically for Um, an early retirement or a partial retirement, which I think is the best way to go, where you have some income coming in and and then you rely also on your investments to be able to take maybe a more fun job. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think I would get bored if I didn't do anything, but yeah, it'd be great to be an instructor or work at a national park or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Something fun and outdoors. Mm -hmm. So, so let's talk about your plan to get you there. So Right now, so you just started. Congrats on getting a job during a pandemic. Um, it was stressful. Not an easy feat. <laughs> <laughs> not an easy feat. Mm-hmm. So I have a very impressive spreadsheet here that I would like to point out to our listeners because I always say how I really love a good Excel spreadsheet. This one is very impressive because it has some multiple tabs on it. <laughs> so many tabs. So many tabs yeah. that I actually wasn't looking at all the right tabs to start. But why don't you give us a breakdown of your in, your income with your new job, your um, expenses, um, and so forth? Okay. Because I think that you've, you've done a good job with the budgeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do you want me to go over like the you know the exact amounts and or guess yeah. kind of an overview? Okay. Or you could do like a high level overview. Yeah. Um. 
Yeah, so I'm, you know, grossing about uh, 92800 and, you know, I am also planning to do, you know, have separate, you know, 60 plus retirement and then also have kind of separate stuff for my early retirement. Um, so planning on, you know, maxing out my 401k, um, which, you know, lowers my my taxable income. Um, yep. And then, so I've got my mortgage um, and something that I'm doing to help pay the mortgage, which, you know, I still, it's a good, you know, price. It's only like 1200 bucks, which is great. We uh, re refinanced. So that brought our payment down, which was great. Oh, you did? What did yeah. you refinance to? Um, what do you mean? Like our percentage? Yeah, your rate. Um, uh, uh, 2.8, I want to say. That is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's saving us like hundreds of dollars a month. And we were originally paying just a ton of extra money on the mortgage. But, you know, now after talking to you, now we, we're going to invest that money. Me and my partner are going to invest that money instead of putting extra payments on the house. Oh, yeah. We should talk about marital status. So you are living with your partner. Mm -hmm. So there's two of you. Mm -hmm. um, I always like to differentiate between single and non-single. Yeah. But uh, um, since she was paying the mortgage and everything while I was off having fun, um, so now I'm now that I'm working again, I'll be paying the full mortgage. Um, but also to help with that, we have basement tenants, and that fantastic, yeah. Um, and that money will cover um, like two thirds of the mortgage. And then a, a friend of ours, um, he's going to be moving in actually next weekend so that'll be a little bit extra coming in rent monies that'll cover most of the mortgage yeah I would like to highlight this because this is something I talk about like side hustles a lot on the show and like what you can do to kind of leapfrog in your financial goals um and we I did another podcast because we record in bulk but I did another podcast today and I talked about this that you know, it, it can be a huge way to leapfrog in your finances if you can negate some of your housing costs. And so you're doing two things. You have a basement rental and then you're bringing on a roommate, right? Mm -hmm. And then that will almost negate your mortgage costs. Yeah. Yeah. Which is fantastic. Yeah. It's really nice. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's why I picked this house was I, you know, I was looking at the price for a house that was, you know, just for me. And, you know, it was just, it was more than I wanted to pay, even though I could afford it. Like, you know, I want to use my money for other things and not most of it going to my mortgage. So I looked specifically just, for a house. You don't want to just sit in your house all by yourself and be like, this is what all my money goes to. Yeah, just this house. I might as just well spend all my time here, get my money's worth. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I think that's fantastic. So essentially with your new roommate and the basement rental and the refinance with the mortgage, it's mm -hmm. like you're like a hundred dollars shy of covering your mortgage expense. Yeah, just incredible. Yeah, um, and then you don't have many other. You don't have a lot of expenses. Yeah, so you know, when I was getting ready to through like the Pacific Crest Trail, I didn't want to have to be making any kind of payments while I was on the trail, so that I didn't have to save as much money. So before I left, I actually paid off my truck and my student loans early so that Perfect. yeah all I would have is the mortgage which my partner was going to pay fantastic so yeah like I you know I'm able to keep my expenses pretty low um I mean even when I bought my truck like I mean I could have bought 
like the newest Tacoma there was at the time. But like, again, you know, I don't want to spend all my money on making payments. That's kind of like one of my fears is that I'll get like caught up in the rat race where it's like I have to work until I'm 65 or whatever because I'm always making payments on the, you know, the the nice house and the newest truck and all the toys yep. and stuff. And it like, that's like my nightmare. <laughs> and, but it, and it happens to people and I think the word for it or like people have coined it is lifestyle creep, mm-hmm. where as you make more money, you increase your lifestyle. And from experience, increasing your lifestyle and then taking 10 steps backwards is not fun. So I always think it's better to like stay below your means and mm-hmm. like help yourself financially than, and, and that's my own personal perspective, obviously, right? It's like, that's not a CFP's opinion. That's my personal choice. But I, I agree with you. I think it's smart to always go spend less than, than you can afford because then it provides you luxuries in the other areas of your life, like yeah. vacation or outdoor adventures or, or retiring early because mm-hmm. I to me I think that's more valuable yeah like agreed. the nicest yeah. car or the best house yeah experiences are worth a lot more to me than the stuff totally agree so when we're looking at your total necessary expenses mm-hmm. I feel like I'm going to use you as like the proto- <laughs> prototype now that I have your spreadsheet <laughs> so your housing cost is a hundred dollars um after the income property you know the mm-hmm. yeah plus my other tenant. side hustle <laughs> yeah what is your other side hustle i so i'm also on the weekends i'm uh teaching adaptive snowboarding with wasatch adaptive sports fantastic it's not a lot of money so they, but i mean it's fun and it gets me out on the snow yeah which is fantastic so then you have that coming in in addition mm-hmm so then your so did we let me just see your spreadsheet so your total so then with utilities, okay, so basically with your income from instructing and the basement tenant and the roommate, cover the mortgage totally and still have an extra $100. Yeah. Okay. And then we have 180 for utilities. We have internet, cell phone. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's yeah. about a split, obviously, with my partner. Yeah. I mean, utilities are not $180, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, so yeah, so then everything in the, in the household then is kind of split, right? Mm-hmm, the rest mm-hmm. of the expenses. And so your share, it's, it looks like you're doing it 50-50. So mm-hmm. then your share is going to come in to be, do, 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 it would be $837 I have, but you're getting $100. We have $100 left over from your side hustle. So you're spending, we'll just round up like $725, $750 in necessary spending. Yeah, and I mean, part of that in that tab is just a little extra so that I make sure I allocate some money for like going out to eat or out to the bar or whatever. So I wouldn't even necessarily say that's necessary, but I mean, I, it kind of is. <laughs> it, it's nice to do something fun. Yeah. I will say this is one of the most impressive, impressive budgets. I would also like to point out, because I don't think you brought it up, but you grow a lot of your own food. Yeah. I love gardening, and I'm planning on expanding the garden some more (laughs) this year. (laughs) Trying to decide how I'm going to have enough time for all of this with all. Yeah, because you have a full time job (laughs) and a side hustle. Yeah, Um, and you have a tenant, and you have a roommate. Well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna get my roommate to help. 
then, you know, maybe I'll share some vegetables with him. (laughs) That's perfect. Yeah. So that is fantastic because you have a really good salary. So if we're looking at total monthly spending of, we'll just call it 700, we'll just round up here Mm -hmm. and call it $750. I will say it's probably the lowest budget I've seen so far this year on this season. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't need a lot. Well, I think that the key is is that you negate it your housing costs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Because it's usually one, it's usually, and you already paid off your student loan. So I would say some of the biggest budget items I see are housing. Um, and then obviously, you know, student loans mm-hmm. usually are pretty substantial. So the fact that you don't have that and you have no debt and then no house, really no housing with what you're, you know, your little Someone called it another po- uh, podcast called House House Hacking. I was like, it's House Hacking. But that's this is this is what she meant when she said House Hacking. So how to hack it so that you don't have to pay for the house. Yeah. Which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, so let's talk about your savings because that's really what your primary goal is going forward. Mm-hmm. So where, where are your savings? I know what we're putting towards – because your monthly, your net pay uh, is approximately three thousand a month. We're estimating. I know. I know you just started working. Yeah. So, um, your net pay after expenses. So you should be netting around. We think around thirty seven hundred, give or take, and then we have about seven hundred in expenses. So you should have about three thousand to play with at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. So, why don't you walk me through what you currently have saved, and then where you where you're planning on allocating? Yeah. So. Um... I think I have like right around 15,000 that is still saving in my savings uh, even after being unemployed forever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's that's going to get moved over to my emergency savings. Um, okay. And since, you know, my expenses are so low, I think that that might like it. Yeah, I mean, because like, what? How much do you have in your emergency fund, or is the fifteen thousand? Yeah, that fifteen thousand. I'm gonna move that into my emergency fund. I'm gonna put it over in. A, I just opened an Ally account. So, oh, great! Yeah, so I'm gonna move it over there. That's where I have my emergency fund. Yeah, I, I not want... that that's a recommendation, but I like their interface a yeah. lot. I think they're easy to use. Yeah, agreed. And I, I also like that. It won't be as visible because, like, my problem is yes. that when I see that I have all this money in my savings, I'm like, oh, you know, I went a little over my budget this month. I'll just pull it from my savings and I'll pay it back next paycheck. And then, you know, that just yes. like doesn't happen. So, yes, out of sight, out of mind is, yeah. I think, very critical for most people. Mm-hmm. That's why mine's in LA as well. Yeah. <laughs> I don't check it. It's just there. Yeah, exactly. It just needs to be away, out of sight. So that's perfect. I think that's a good number for emergency fund because you have tenants now and you have a roommate now, but I think it's good to have a little extra just in case you didn't have the income coming in. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a good amount for an emergency savings. Yeah. So then um, beyond that, I'm planning on doing about 250 to my Roth each month. I do, you know, eventually I'm going to need a new truck and I don't want to have, you know, this alone. Uh, yeah, alone or just like a huge expense right up front. So I'm wanting to put in like $300 a month into my like a vehicle bucket in Ally. Perfect. So that, yes, because you, you can name them there. Yeah. Like. Yeah. So I, I made a few buckets and 
and you know total what percentage to distribute everything so you'll have a little vehicle account because but one one of my questions though is that you know this money is probably going to be sitting for hopefully you know five to eight years until i've run my tacoma into the ground um so you know i'm like maybe i should put that in my brokerage account so I normally say that you have to have at least a two-year time horizon before you put money in the market because if you look historically at uh, historical performance of the market, not to say that this is indicative of future performance, but if you just look at the history and we're using that as a barometer, um, usually the down cycles are no longer than two years. Not a guarantee, but th- so that's where I've come with the benchmark of you shouldn't put money in the market if it's going to be for less than two years. Mm -hmm. But if you think it's going to be like six to eight years, you could always do something conservative with it. And then, but you wouldn't want to leave it in until you're, you know, until when you need it, right? You could put it in for a couple of years and then take it out in advance of needing a new vehicle, right? Like ideally take it out two years in advance of needing Hmm. a new vehicle. Interesting. So that I wouldn't like potentially jeopardize it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because what you would hate to have happen, and like March was with the market, the market dipped, and the March recovered really quickly. And like nobody, I don't think at the time, thought it was going to recover really quickly. There's a few thoughts on that. Like one was like, well, we're going to have a double dip, meaning it dipped so fast and recovered so quickly that then therefore there should be another dip Mm -hmm. just because it wasn't sustained that long. Um, So if you were to put it, in the, if you were going to invest your money that you have earmarked for a car, you know, a truck purchase, I would just say I wouldn't leave it in up until like when you start getting high mileage on your truck and you think you could get one in the next couple of years, then I would tone down the investment risk or, and or use cash. I'm not opposed to cash because the way I look at it is it's going to be there when you need it, right? So if you got a good deal on a truck and you had already taken the money out of the market, yes, you maybe lost potential for upside for that time frame, but you could have also had it gone down, Yeah. right? So you have to look at the down aspect of it. Like, are you willing to risk, mm-hmm. you know, the monies for that potential gain, which maybe like, let's say it's conservatively invested and your potential gain is 6%. Are you willing to risk 10% loss for a 6% gain when it's earmarked to buy you something, you know, that you need for your day-to-day life? Yeah. So that's... That's kind of the way I would look at it. I don't think there's anything wrong with putting it in for a few years and then, you know, if it's, it's made some money and you think you're going to need a new truck, take it out. But I wouldn't jeopardize that purchase by leaving it in too long okay. or too close to the date. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, I like to err on the side of being conservative because mm-hmm. I've um, been on the side where people have like left things in maybe a little too close and it didn't work out in their favor. Yeah. I mean, like, God forbid I get in an accident yes. or something and I need that money like immediately and and everything's down, and now I've lost money. And, and that's why, like, the emergency fund is so critical, too, because let's say something came up immediately and you had to have money. That's mm-hmm. why the cash is, so, cash is so important. A lot of people ask about investing in the emergency fund because, as we talked about, your emergency fund, ideally, you don't have an emergency fund, right? Yeah. And it's just sitting there year after year after year after year. And right now, interest rates are nothing. Interest rates will hopefully go up at some point in the future. But, like, it potentially could sit there for five years and make nothing, mm-hmm. right? Like, pennies. Um, but it prevents a future problem, right? Like if you had an emergency in March and your other monies were invested, you could use the emergency fund, which would have bridged you to the market recovery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All the little pieces play their own role. So I would say because you're, you think your truck will last long, you could, you could put it in the market for a little bit, but not, I wouldn't leave it in there too long. Yeah.
Yeah, I mean, Tacomas are supposed to be, you know, pretty reliable trucks that, you know, getting up to 300,000 miles is, seems like a pretty routine. So that's the hope. It'll, it'll be a while. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Okay, so 250 towards a Roth, 300 mm-hmm. towards um, a vehicle, which I really like the idea that you know you're going to need a vehicle, so let's save for it in advance because it's little bites rather than a big bite, which mm-hmm. always is more manageable. And then um, the plan is 1150 towards just an investment account. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm like I'm still playing with these numbers a little bit just because, um, you know, I felt like I didn't I didn't I don't feel like I did my W four quite right to okay. work, so I felt like it was taking out a little too much taxes, but, um, so you know, hopefully these numbers are final because I like them. <laughs> um, well if they're taking out too much tax then they could go they could be a little bit better and you can always play with your did you do a zero yeah um claim Mm -hmm. okay versus a one okay Mm -hmm. so you can always play with it a little bit hopefully yeah hopefully these are about right they shouldn't be too far off yeah they shouldn't be too far off but i'm hoping that maybe i'll get just a little bit more a little, a smidge more. Okay. Yeah. So then, um, yeah, on the brokerage account, um, planning on doing five hundred dollars a month into just regular savings, and then five hundred dollars to the house account, um, because my house is was built in the sixties and had zero updates. So, which is also, you know, what saved me on money was that my house didn't cost as much. Right. And I, you know, I've seen some really bad remodels when I was looking for a house. So I was like, I think I could do this better myself. So yes, and being an engineer, and I would, I will also say you're very handy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually planning so planning a big remodel for the basement. Um, our current basement tenants are house hunting right now, and so when they move out, I'm planning on doing a remodel and then uh, raising the rent a little bit down there. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. That's great. So, okay, so we have all of your money basically then accounted for with the majority, I would say, of your money um, going towards saving for future goals. Yeah. yeah. And I, and, I like and to I leave was, like a little bit of wiggle room just, you know, if there's unexpected expenses or like this month, you know, I since I just started my new job, like I needed some new clothes and I also bought myself a new uh, pow board. <laughs> So that was the, I did go a little over budget on, on my fun monies. Yeah. And it's important, especially because this is a very ambitious plan, which I like, but I think it's important to also have fun money, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's why you're working. Yes. Let's talk about how we're going to get you over to FIRE. Mm -hmm. Did you know that Future Rich offers three online classes in partnership with SUNY Ulster? Well, you're in luck. We do. We have our Future Rich Signature course, our Student Loans course, and our brand new Social Security course. All of these classes can be found on our website at www.futurerichpodcast.com. Okay, so, oh, and then also I want to add, how much do you currently have for your retirement savings? Because when you're working uh, I currently actually have my Fidelity pulled up right now. Um, I have okay. $117,500 roughly. Fantastic. That's fantastic. And I don't know, let me see, did you project out what that's going to be for yourself? In... I put it, it's in there. It's on the I'm just going to find it. Yeah, just scroll down. 
It's a very big spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, it seems. Okay, so retirement savings 401k. Yeah. And at the beginning of the year, it was at 111000 So that's what it says on the spreadsheet. Oh, okay. So you mapped it out using an 8% return rate. So year zero is this current year, you're 31. And then you projected out that at age 60, it's going to be worth $3.2 million mm-hmm. based on an 8% compounding return. Yeah. And this is why I like to separate it. <laughs> because, you know, you obviously are very diligent about your budgeting and about your money, right? Like I have seen so many budgets, I can't even begin to tell you because I do this for my day job and then I do this for my side hustle. So you're obviously very skilled at your budgeting and doing little side hustles and paying down your debt and living below your means and having a really good budget. So now that you already at 31 have zero debt, you own a house, you have rental income, you have a side hustle, and you already have 117000 safe for retirement, that alone, based on the 8% compounding interest, will, should be worth in the future, if all works out, about $3.2 million. Yeah. And originally when I put this spreadsheet together, I forgot to include the company match on the 401k. So I put that in the other day and I'm like, yes, this this looks good. (laughs) (laughs) The company match is amazing. Yeah. It's a good match. It's a great match. And so you're getting that and then you're still contributing. So as long as we do that and you have that worked out that you're going to do, you know, if you stay with this company and you work there from now, from we're essentially putting it down as 32 because you're almost 32, mm-hmm. 32 through 45. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. So I'm, what my plan is, um, is to actually, well, since I don't think that I will finish all my house remodel stuff between now and 45, just because you know my budget's so tight. Um, if I still have, you know, a lot of stuff that needs to be done on the house at that point at age after, well, I guess at age 46, I would stop putting the money into the 401k and I would instead put it towards the house. Though I think I would probably keep putting at least like the minimum in to get the match. Um, I mean, exactly. free money. Yeah, just get the free money. Yeah. Yes, free money. Yeah, and I just realized I didn't put that in the spreadsheet, so I'll have to update it. Well, that's okay. So that means your numbers would just be better. Yeah, just better. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you know, if I need to after after age forty five, then I'll start instead of investing the money, I'll put it towards the house. Perfect. And then you can get the house all squared away, so that when you go into your fire segment of your life, mm-hmm. that you have that already done. Yeah, and fund it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want to point out for all the listeners, we're starting with the 401k balance being 111 because it was a little bit lower when you did the spreadsheet. And this is including what you're contributing plus what your company matches and an 8% compounding return. And so then that way, when you get to your fire lifestyle, we have the house done and you've already, what I like to say is that you front load it your retirement. So at that point, you will, you'll have enough for retirement when you get there. And so now it's just about living on the money that we're saving from this point till then. Yeah. I mean, it makes makes such a huge difference. Like the money that you put in in the first 10 years. Huge. Critical. Huge difference. Yeah. <laughs> it's The numbers don't seem real until you like, I mean, I, I think they seem real. I feel like People don't realize what a difference it makes to save. I mean, because you did, you saved a hundred and 
essentially 111,000 basically before you were 30. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was all because you started early. Yeah, I started as soon as I started my first job, which my dad like drilled into me. Don't be like me and have to play catch up on your retirement. (laughs) It's so much better to front load it. I always tell everybody like it's so much better to be on a budget and be strict about your spending because it's a short period of your life that you're going to do it. And it makes an incredible difference long term. Yes. For those early sacrifices. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then let's talk about the fire aspect. So the whole reason you're putting, um, well, you're saving for the car, which is smart because we want to make, for the truck, because we want to make sure that you don't have a big variable expense. We're saving for the house because we need to do house projects. And because as we all know from listening to the podcast, houses have their own emergencies. Yeah. Um, As we both know. (laughs) As we both know very well. And for all of our listeners, you should learn houses have their own emergencies and they run the gamut for what the emergency is, but they usually tend to be expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the brokerage account is what you're working on so that you can live off of those investments for the fire aspect of your plan because those monies are not retirement, so we're not jeopardizing a future retirement if for some reason it doesn't go as planned. We still have your retirement yeah, uh, yeah. taken care of. No penalties for early withdrawal and exactly no penalties for early withdrawal and also well as of today we don't know what will happen in the future as of today the capital gains rate is more advantageous it also which we talked about because it's a little complicated but we did talk about how perhaps when you are in an early retirement in the fire segment that maybe at that point depending on what your income is and depending on what the situation is at the time and the tax laws but that maybe you converted Roth monies Mm-hmm. because you would be in a lower tax bracket potentially. Yeah. Food for thought in the back, but I wanted to mention that to the listeners so they could hear that concept too. Yeah, I should have done that when you told me to do it last year, but I just got like, <laughs> it just, I don't know, it was just seemed very intimidating to me and then I didn't do it and now I'm like, oh, I should have done it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have we have opportunities in the future with the fire because you're in a high income bracket now. So I think taking advantage of the pre-tax options, lowering your taxable income, allowing you to save more for these goals. And then when you go to the fire aspect, when we get you there, when you're going to be, you know, ideally instructing and living off your investment return, you'll be in a lower income mm-hmm. bracket and you could then do it at that point. Yeah. Ideally, if, if it's still, depending on what our tax situation looks like in the future. So let's talk about the brokerage account. So we're going to be saving ideally 1150 we're just starting. This is like, so for our listeners, this is a new plan, right? Yeah. This is not something that has got, um, I think the fire and you started for the fire revolution with your um, sabbatical. Yeah. Yeah. So this will be brand new brokerage account this year. Perfect. And so with the 1150 and that's after tax um, and that would be monthly. So you would be doing 13000 800 a month contributing to your investment account, which you plan on living um, or having supplement your income in the future. So let's talk about where we think that is going to be if you continue to do that from now, um, which will be aged essentially. I hate to round up your age, Morgan, (laughs) but I'm rounding you up to 32. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm almost there. You're almost there. Yeah. I don't like to age people. And I, I did um, try to account for capital gains tax on the spreadsheet. 
Yes, I see that you added that in. And so for our listeners, that means so every when you have a it's just a pure investment account when it's not sheltered inside of a work retirement plan or a Roth or a traditional IRA, you get a 1099 every year, which you have to pay tax on for essentially uh, either dividends, interest, or capital gains. And you know, the capital appreciation or price appreciation, if you will. So the the if it went from the, whatever you purchased from hundred dollars to hundred and five. You don't pay on that till you sell, but any sort of the income that's generated, you, you pay on on an annual basis at a capital gains rate, and your and your capital gains rate depends on your um, tax bracket where you'll fall. Yeah, so, I'm a little bit confused because some of it, like some of it, said yeah, it was based on your income, and then other stuff was like yeah, it's usually like fifteen percent, and so I wasn't really sure about that one. So whether you get pay 15% or 20, right now it's 15 and 20. So whether you pay 15% or 20% depends on where you fall ordinary income mm -hmm. bracket determines your capital gains bracket. Okay. It's kind of convoluted. Mm -hmm. Just like the rest of our tax code. <laughs> <laughs> we like to make it as confusing as possible. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so yeah, so 15% I think is a... I, I, I'm not a tax professional, but if I had to take a guess, that would be my guess as well. Okay. Um, I did a lot of Googling for this, so. Yeah. And so sometimes with this stuff, because there's like multiple aspects of it, right? There's the investments, there's the taxes, there's the payroll component of it, right? Like, yeah, zero, claiming zero versus claiming one and what's going to be coming out of your paycheck. So some of it just has to get tweaked as you go along. Um especially because you have a, this is your, a new job. So you'll have a better idea when you go to file next year will be your first, you know, filing for 2021 will be mm -hmm. your first year. So some of it has to be tweaked, but it, you're pretty spot on. It would be small adjustments. Okay. But I do think assuming a 15% capital gains rate makes sense okay. um, for, what, for what you're doing. Cool. So it looks like, so we're assuming an annual increase in the salary so that your savings goes up year over year mm -hmm. so that you're able to continue yeah, was, to save more. Yeah, I was estimating like a 2% merit increase every year. So then we see the value of um, the account go up. So it looks like the target, right, um, is that we get it close to 400, I'm just going to use round numbers, mm -hmm. 450,000 by the time you are... 47. Yeah. And that's using an 8% compounding investment return. Mm -hmm. Did it scare you to write the number 47 down? <laughs> I'm impressed that you put all of your ages down on the spreadsheet. Well, you know, I keep thinking about, you know, I, I you know, I want to retire when I'm still, you know, healthy enough to go on adventures. And yeah, you know, I, I've actually, since I've been thinking so much about you know, me in my late forties, I've been looking around at my coworkers and I'm like, Hmm, you know, how old do I think they are? It's like, are they in their forties or are they like 50? Like, you know, what, what am I going to look like when I'm that age? I think it's really interesting because we talk a lot about the, I mean, obviously the concept of the podcast is future rich, like worrying about your future self. And I've like, always visualize like the seven-year-old version, right? Like I talk a lot about how important it is to take care of your retirement. And I think just because I work with so many retirees and I, you know, I have to tell some people that they can't retire. Yeah. Um, but I never thought about like the middle ages. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like interesting to see it, but I feel like that's a good way to do it. Like I love this idea because like, it's not really that far away. Like, I mean, 
yes, it is far away, but it'll happen, right? Like it's going to happen. Yeah. So <laughs> someday looking someday. <laughs> so like looking at your colleagues and being like, well, I think that person's about the age, but I'm going to be able to say, see you later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm out of here. Yeah. It's, I think a good, good way to visualize it. Yeah. But so, okay. So if we get you there, so 400 and approximately 50,000. And so at that point, then the plan is to pull money out each year to supplement your income so that you can take what we'll say is like a fun job. Like you're still going to work, but mm-hmm. you don't want to have the stress of having an engineering job with the regular hours, right? Yeah. Longer hours. Yeah, desk all day. <laughs> And sitting at your desk all day. So each year you're planning on pulling out 30000 Is that right? Like minimum, yeah. Minimum. Okay. So I just want to make sure. And then you're anticipating annual income of about $20,000. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the plan is to pull out just about 6%. We're doing FIRE our own way. Um, I'm not sure this is the way everyone else does it. But the way I have it, or the way we talked about doing it for you, is that we will spend this money down until you are 60. And then at 60, because you are beyond the 59 and a half age, we will then start using your retirement money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Or depending on how the investments go, maybe, they, maybe they're able to support a higher distribution rate. So maybe they can, you know, maybe they're making 8% every year and it can support 6 to 7% withdrawal and then it doesn't deplete the account. But we have it planned for you that it depletes your account by the time you're 60. And at that point you start using your retirement savings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think with the 8% return, I could probably pull and maybe closer to 55. Um, though, once I'm at the point where I'm pulling from this account, like what I want to move everything to like a more conservative. Yeah, so here's what I like to do, because we talked about this, and, and this is not scientific, this is kind of my rule of thumb. But I like to have usually, and so let's just go over like where we are in the future. At the future, you still have an emergency fund. You have no major expenses. We'll just say you increase the property value, have a tenant. You probably don't even have a mortgage at this point, 48. No, you still have a mortgage at this point, right? Well, yeah, not making extra payments. Yeah. Okay. Still have a mortgage at this point. We'll just say you have a tenant. So we're close to still covering that amount. Um, So still low budget. So I would say... With your emergency fund, which is going to be about six months worth of money, you probably would want about a year's worth of your distribution, maybe a little over a year, in either a cash or cash equivalent account inside the brokerage account. So I don't ever like to pull monthly distributions that we know we're going to spend, like we're earmarked to spend Mm -hmm. and leave it in the same investments. I would also say then when you get to this future age where um, we know we're going to be spending down the account, we probably want to turn down the heat on the money we're going to use in the one to three year range yeah um, with a, a year being yeah. more, the most conservative okay so so instead of shifting all of that money to more conservative just shift like a, you know a year or three's amount of money to more conservative so that it doesn't fluctuate as much yeah so think about it um i think some people call it like the bucket theory i think think about it as buckets so your your time mitigates risk so if we know we're going to be spending these monies from age 48 to 59 the money you're going to use in, at year when you're 59 years old, you know, is 11 years out from when you start, right? Mm-hmm. So 11 years is a longer time in the market. So you can take a little bit more risk with the money you're spending that year because we have longer for it to recover. But the money that you need at age 48, when you're 48, needs to be basically cash, right? Yeah. 
if you think about it is already being spent. Like we know that you need that money for that year for your expenses. Mm -hmm. So you look at it like a bucket. I normally do like one to three years and then like four to six and then six plus would be like kind of how I'd break it down. And so your six plus money, six years out, could be a little bit more aggressive. And then the money you need sooner, just incrementally. So if you're going to be spending that money for the year, and we know that what you have, I don't know if you have your year planned out, but my years are like always planned out. So you know what you're going to need your money for for that year, then it should be probably in cash. And then year two and year three could be a little bit more, could be conservative, maybe not as conservative, if that makes sense. Yeah. But I like to do it that way so that we know, I don't ever want to have money earmarked for something and then be looking at the market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I wouldn't make the whole bucket, like if you think of that as your fire bucket, I wouldn't make the whole bucket conservative once you hit fire, but I would make it based on when the money is going to be spent. Mm-hmm. So what, what uh, I guess, like rate of return could I expect on the more conservative stuff? So cash right now, I would say is zero, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and then it just depends on where interest rates are going to be in the future. It's a little hard to say because interest rates right now are like pretty low. So I would just say you're one to two year out. I would probably expect nothing on it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I would say an 8% overall return on that entire account is probably not as realistic once you start pulling, mm-hmm. but something lower because you're going to have a year or two years worth of money in there that's not making anything. And then maybe like a little bit more as we, as you move up the time horizon. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out how I'm going to work that into my spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> that is a harder thing to work yeah. into the spreadsheet, I will tell it you, is. because it's basically like a waterfall, right? So like this money here is going to make nothing, but this money back here is going to make something. Mm-hmm. But then every year it's going to be different, right? Yeah. So what you could do just to do it, like just to have an idea is you could just for this bucket, turn it down a little from in terms of what you're estimating your return is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's it's still in the future. So we just don't know what interest rates are going to be yeah. when you're 48. Mm-hmm. And so it's possible that we are in an environment where you make 3 or 4% at the bank, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's a possible reality that we could live in because that was a reality we lived in in like the two, you know, mid-2000s, right? So... It's possible it comes back. I remember when I made bank account paid 5%. Wow. Um, right? I do not. <laughs> I'm older. Damn it. <laughs> I think I remember when it was making 2%. When? It was like 2000. I want to say it was 2006, maybe. Hmm. Might have been 2006. Um, it was very early. It was very early on. I remember that they were giving free it was free you got free coffee and you might have gotten something else if you like went and opened an account and I was working at a big firm at the time and we actually had free coffee so like it's kind of funny that everybody went over there for the free coffee across the street and not the free coffee in our cafeteria I don't know I don't even remember it being different but I remember everybody from work was like, oh, my God, you should go across the street. If you open an account, you get, like, free coffee. And, like, the account's paying a lot of money. And, like, everybody did it. And so then they shut it down. Like, they had to, like, shut it down. I don't think they realized, like, there was a – make all the coffee for you guys. Yeah. And, like, I think we, like, swamped their little <laughs> storefront. I think it was, like, more of a marketing ploy to get the account go, you know, uh-huh. like, to, like, advertise this account. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they realized there was, like, a bunch of people, like, literally who just graduated college were, like, free coffee and a good percentage rate. <laughs> Wonderful. Yes. We'll be there. Sign me up. 
So yeah, I remember back in the day where we had good interest rates. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that what I would do if you're just for estimating purposes, um, I would on this one, I would maybe tone down the percentage return a smidge on the, when you get to the distribution Mm -hmm. aspect and then just have to, I think it's really important with your personal finances, just like to keep an eye on them and update things, even if you do it yearly, right? Yeah. Because it's just hard to predict where we'll be at 48. Like what would a bank account be paying you then? Yeah. Ideally more than it's paying today, but we don't know. Mm -hmm. So, but I think for estimating purposes, uh, tone down the return a little bit on this. And then I think we'll just have to kind of reevaluate yearly to see where we are. But the overall structure of this works because the money, because even if you, you know, we're estimating return, this, this concept of using this specific account for a set period of time works because we know that the retirement, because you've put so much money into it, is going to more than cover when we get to that next segment, which is at 60. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I was thinking also, um, I mean, I guess if for some reason you know, I needed a little bit extra money um, in the 48 to 60 range, um, I mean, you can pull um, like your contributions to your Roth, right? Without a penalty, just not any of the gains? True. Yes, you can. And there's actually like a bunch of ways around it. This is like a really complicated one, I think. I don't, you don't really hear um, people talking about it. Um, but there's also this thing called like the 72T, which is like an IRS rule where you can take penalty-free withdrawals from an IRA account as long as you meet the requirements. Hmm. Um yeah, so I think it has to be at least five years or until the owner reaches age 59 and a half, whatever period is longer. So, like, if we were close and you needed money at, like, 57, we could do that, too. Okay. So, yeah, there's a lot of different options. So I'm not as worried about that. I, I just like that we save specifically for the early retirement mm-hmm. so that we're not jeopardizing. Because when we had talked about this, my concern with the FIRE movement is if you start pulling from your retirement at 48, it could potentially have to last you like 50 years, yeah. which is insane. Yeah. And you don't know what could happen in that time frame. Yeah. I'm having a hard time telling you what's going to happen when you're 48 because we have no idea, mm-hmm. but like to have to try and tell you what's going to happen in 40 years is like basically impossible. Yeah. Like <laughs> no clue. So I like that you're mitigating some of the risk with the longevity of your retirement by earmarking and saving specifically for the early retirement fire aspect. And so that we're not pulling your retirement assets until ideally when your retirement age, because at 60, you know, then if we, you know, you live to be age 90, it's 30 years, right? Yeah. Or 95, it's 35 years, which is a more reasonable amount of time to be pulling from your investments. Mm-hmm. Because hopefully we're still kicking at 95. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> right? I don't know. I just, I get so nervous. Um, you know, as as you know, you know, I'm an amputee and I, I really worry about, you know, how, how you know, healthy am I going to be once I get older and will I still be able to walk around as well? And, you know, it's like, oh, if I get sedentary because my prosthetic isn't comfortable, like, you know, it's all downhill from there. And <laughs> I'm like, ugh, thinking about like that far in the future, it's like, there's, I try not to worry about it because there's not anything I can do about it now. 
No, and I think mindset is super important. And I think that working towards this fire lifestyle where you're outside a lot would probably alleviate some of that. Yeah. You would be out there doing it. And I think a lot of it is like being out there doing it on a regular basis that keeps you doing it. Yeah, when I've been out on adventures, like I've met guys that were in their 70s that look, I mean, they look like they were 60, you know, at least. They were incredible. (laughs) I think the key is just to keep doing it. My uncle is a referee a referee for high school basketball games mm-hmm. and like all high school things. And you would not believe, I, I think he, I actually have no idea how old he is. He's well <laughs> over 70 though. Uh-huh. And like, it's always shocking because he's just always, always been with high school kids running around. And so he just doesn't look his age and can mm-hmm. keep up with high school basketball games, which yeah. is like a pretty active yeah. sport, That's like to be running around at, at 75 or 70, whatever age mm-hmm. he is. Right. Um, so I think the key is like just being continuous, like staying in the habit. And so I think working towards this fire lifestyle will be ideal because it'll get you outside and get you active rather than working. Yeah, I yeah. mean, you're doing it on the weekends, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'd be working for, you know, like a decade in a, you know, active field, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the key. My boyfriend is a ski patroller and his plan is to ski patrol. I'm like, what do you, what's your plan? He's like, I want to be a ski patroller until I'm 70. I'm like, what <laughs> after 70? He's like, I don't know. And I'm like, well, how are you going to do it till uh, 70? And he's like, well, I was told I just have to do it. You just have to do it. You just have to like keep your body. If you want Kind of keep your body in motion almost, mm-hmm. right? Just keep up yeah. with it. An object in motion so. stays in motion, as they say. Yeah, right. You're, <laughs> you're a rocket scientist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, fantastic. Well, I think this is great. I am definitely going to use this as an example because I feel like I'm always stressing that the key to leapfrogging in your finances is your budget. It always comes down to your budget yeah. and the ability to do side hustles. And you have... I will, I'm going to count this as three side hustles. You're taking on a roommate, you have a tenant, and you are working weekends. So it's like three. Besides like making really sound financial decisions and it is, keeping it. It is kind of feeling like a lot. But then I look at this spreadsheet and I, and I remind myself that it's worth it. Yeah, totally. And, you know, like maybe you do all three side hustles for like a year and decide like, you know what, I need to have my weekends because work is a lot. And then you go down to two side hustles. Yeah, you know, I mean, like everything just is the tenants, Yeah, just having the tenants is a huge thing, and it's you know pretty passive income. Yeah, I would say the tenants is your biggest win because that mm-hmm. knocks down the majority of the mortgage yeah. for sure. Well, Morgan, this is wonderful to have you on. I'm very excited. We're definitely gonna have to do a follow up. Yeah, definitely. This was so awesome and lots of great advice. Well, good. I'm glad. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. And um, so, for all of our lovely listeners. You can check us out on Instagram, Future Rich Podcast, and that's where you'll find our most up-to-date information and when we're launching podcasts. And you can check out our online classes, which are partnered with SUNY Ulster at www.planancial.com. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. 
you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade or at least grab an extra latte after getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at Chime.com Goals24. That's Chime.com Goals24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply.